This morning, instead of uh, what is kind of typically a normal sermon, uh, this was an idea we had when we started the series, and the idea being that uh, at some point during this uh, series on Deuteronomy, that we would stop and take a break and kind of have a live conversation uh, between Kyle and myself, and you guys can contribute if you'd like. Uh, but we'll have a more traditional Q&R in a couple of weeks that we've done with series before. But we thought that it would be helpful with a series like Deuteronomy um, to stop and to kind of bring some of the conversation that goes behind a series out here. And then when we were looking at the schedule and we are kind of thinking through it and how it broke down, we saw Deuteronomy kind of breaks in three big parts. And so we're like, oh, well, we could do like a, a little conversation in between part one and two. It'd be really helpful. And then we're like, oh, that falls on the Sunday before the 4th of July. And so we assumed it would be a little bit smaller of a Sunday. And we're like, it could be a, a nice spot to sort of just like break up, uh, not the monotony, but the, the, the regular schedule of going through Deuteronomy just Sunday after Sunday. Uh, and so what we're going to do is we're going to talk, answer some questions. Think of this in some ways uh, of what sort of goes behind a lot of the series we do uh, and some of the conversations we're always having. And each week uh, in the office, Kyle and I, I feel like, are having these like kind of, they feel random a lot of times and they feel like, oh, we're just in there talking. But then it's like, oh, like we're talking about the passage. We're talking about what this coming Sunday sermon is about and a lot of times the series. And there are these conversations that kind of go on behind all of this stuff, and, and we can't talk about it all during a sermon, and sometimes it kind of interrupts the flow of a sermon. And so you can think of it, if you're a film person, this is the cutting room floor kind of stuff. If you're a woodworking, that was the analogy they used in preaching class all the time. They would say, don't take the sawdust out with you. Like, you, you've made something in the shop, take that out and, like, show it off. This is, we're intentionally bringing the sawdust out here in this moment. So... Uh, we're going to start with the first question, and we'll just sort of go from there. But as we're looking at this um, and planning this series, the question kind of came up of, like, why would we do Deuteronomy, and does Deuteronomy make sense? And so, Kyle, why don't you start with, like, why you thought we would do Deuteronomy, and I'll give my two cents as well. But yeah. we may say the same thing, but it, different reasons for why we thought this would work, maybe. I mean, we've always, in the summers, tried to lean into, I mean, we did Isaiah years ago, we've done, uh, I can't remember when we did Leviticus, but like we, we've done these series, and sometimes people kind of go, do we have to do that? You know, it's like, do we need to spend an entire summer on that? Um, but there's, there's just a whole lot of value in terms of Deuteronomy for me, in terms of the way in which it shaped the minds and hearts of the people we're seeing in the New Testament. For me, that's that, I'm always kind of like fascinated by that, that the Old Testament for us feels um, unnecessarily detailed about things we don't care about. It's like all of the names, generally, people are just kind of like, that, that's a lot of names, or that's a long collection of laws that are pretty arbitrary. And I don't know that, obviously, if they don't apply to my life any longer, what should I do with them? It doesn't mean that I disparage the book of Deuteronomy. I just say it's not something I need necessarily. And uh, what's interesting about that is that obviously the people that were reading in the New Testament were not reading the New Testament. They were reading Deuteronomy. They were reading these books, and they had been changed by them. They'd been shaped by these books. 
uh, and the way Moses was teaching the people, it shaped them. Because what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy is slightly different than what he said in places like Leviticus and in Exodus when he's giving the law. You're seeing something slightly different. Uh, the way I've kind of understood it is it's similar to what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. And you can see a lot of that in the way Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, yeah, you've heard it said this way, but... And he's kind of transforming the way they understand the law. And, and I think Moses is doing that for them. It's like, hey, you need to understand this. We've gotten it wrong for so long, but now something, God is about to do something new. God is about to give you the land. And so there's like a perspective that Deuteronomy offers, I think, that, that's really, really helpful to me. And again, I, I mentioned this in, um, I guess, kind of the introductory sermon to Deuteronomy, mm -hmm. um, the idea that, that Deuteronomy is, quote, the, the, the favorite book of Jesus, uh, quoted by him more often uh, than any other book besides the Psalms. He, he quotes the Psalms more often, uh, but there's 150 of those. So it's just kind of like, it's, it's easy for Jesus to draw a lot from the Psalms. That makes complete sense that, that Jesus was shaped by the Psalms, but it's like next to the Psalms, Deuteronomy is the next. And it's just like really powerful. Or Jesus in the wilderness, all the times that he's speaking against the enemy and he's refuting the claims and these temptations it's always Deuteronomy. So it's like it's a mm -hmm. book that really shaped him, and it, it really shaped these, these New Testament people. And, yeah, it means we ought to give it space in our lives to kind of shape us. But. Yeah, I think for me, the, when I pitched it to Kyle, one, uh, we did Exodus last summer, and we, I, I enjoyed that like just on a personal level. I had a lot of fun like digging into it. And uh, Oh, yeah, I, I forgot that because, you know, I was gone. Yeah, you were gone. Uh, and so that's yeah, and not on his brain, you know. But, like, it was a really enjoyable time, so I was – I was looking forward to it, and when we were doing Exodus, there was a lot of connection to Deuteronomy, obviously, because it's the retelling of the law. Uh, but then, like, on a practical sense, too, like, just so you know, like, this is some of the stuff when you hear people uh, throw rocks at the Bible, and they're like, oh, the Bible disagrees with itself, like, X number of times. Like, some of it is this kind of stuff. It's, well, in Leviticus, it says one thing, but in Deuteronomy, it says this, and it's like, well, it's saying the same thing. And so I think it's helpful for us to kind of have a good, like, biblical literacy and, and to understand how Scripture came about and how it formed and why it would say something different. It's not disagreeing with itself. It's, it's a different time. It's a different era. It's a different generation. And so then that was kind of the thing I latched on to was, like, this idea that this group of people 40 years later would be hearing this and be getting ready to go to what was where their parents and their grandparents set out for. And I don't know, I felt a lot of connection to that, and, and I felt like that Deuteronomy has a lot to say to our cultural moment and where we find ourselves uh, as we kind of wrestle with some of the upbringing that a lot of us in the stories we have of being brought up in the church and how I think that a lot of that direction was really, really good and it was really, really uh, beneficial towards faith and towards discipleship and knowing Jesus more and seeing the kingdom come. Uh, but it got off kilter at points and at times, and we've, we've struggled with it. And I love that Deuteronomy is going to force the Israelites that are about to enter into the promised land, like, that they can't just divorce themselves from that failure. And Moses is going to say again and again, you were there. Well, yeah, they were babies, small children. But he's going to say, no, 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 this is your church. This is your, for us, like, this is your people. And I think that there's really something that needs to be said about that, of how we understand though those problems and mistakes uh, are right to be named and to be corrected and to be addressed, like they are, they are our problems and we can't just be like, well, we're just done with it. And in the same way that Moses is going to say, the law wasn't the problem. 
Yahweh wasn't the problem. It was our response to the law and to Yahweh. And I think our generation would be really good. Uh, it would be really good for our generation to chew and wrestle with that, to chew on that and wrestle with it. That like, hey, so much of what we're rejecting isn't the problem. The way it was implemented, the way it was interpreted was the problem. And so what it requires then, and you'll see this throughout De Deuteronomy, is every generation in some sense is tasked with this idea that you have to take the truth of what is good and right about following God and you have to understand it in your cultural context. And so I guess in some sense when we say why Deuteronomy, we're, we're really saying like why the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And we can, I think, have a tendency to kind of be Old Testament heavy, at least in our reliance of it and our enjoyment. Uh, personally, you and I, uh, I've joked and said I think you could preach a whole year on like Genesis 1 through 3 and that every sermon goes back to Genesis 1 through 3, like everything that most people do goes back to Genesis 1 through 3. And so we lean heavily on the Old Testament. Why, why do you think it is that, or I mean, I know we know why, but like give why we do that, like yeah. the importance of it. I mean, I think in terms of trying to understand all the questions we're asking in the New Testament, ultimately, I think, can be answered. Uh, it doesn't mean everything. I mean, because we have to, like, yeah, take that with a grain of salt. Because, obviously, they misunderstood Jesus, despite having all of these, you know, the, these things leading to it. Um, but I think Jesus is a means of, of, like, enabling us to kind of, like, understand the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is a means of helping us to understand who Jesus is and why he's doing this a particular way. Uh, and, like, understanding that the character of God uh, and, and uh, like how Jesus is revealing that, but how that's, that's not new, how you've already seen that so often throughout the story. And those two things, it's like this like really helpful sort of cycle uh, that, that we need to be a part of where the Old Testament is helping us to better understand what we're seeing in Jesus uh, and Jesus is helping us to better understand some of those things that maybe have puzzled us uh, because it's like this is who these people were. Like the Old Testament was their Bible. It was, it was their whole thing. Uh, and the way they saw the scriptures is... Uh, yeah, is, is so different from the way we see them. Uh, the, the idea of like the internalization and memorization of Scripture, uh, the idea of, of the, the Scriptures being you know, sweeter than honey, all of this idea, um, like the, the, their reverence for Scripture uh, and for these, these particular books, these scrolls, um, is, is something that I think is, is like humbling for us. Because again, like I always think it's, it's kind of funny that... Uh, like, I grew up in a world where it's like, people are handing out just New Testaments, and, mm -hmm. and we grew up in, in that world, where, and, and that makes sense, that, that totally makes sense. If we were going to tell somebody what they should read first, it's like, probably one of the Gospels is what we're going to give them. Um, and at the same time, it's almost like we need to caveat that when we do it. It's like, this isn't all you need, though. Like, you need the whole of this thing. You need the whole story. And that was, yeah, something in, in seminary, that was something that, that they kind of pressed on us. And I get, so I, I can't deny that. My professor certainly kind of like pushed that on us that we needed to see this as like a whole story and that Jesus is not the beginning of the gospel, that the gospel is Genesis 1 through 3. Like you're mm -hmm. seeing it already yeah. there, yeah. like that idea. Um, and so it's like, and you can see it, you can trace it over and over again. Um, so it's just like, a, for me, that, that, that's why Old Testament has always been so so kind of like precious for us because it's, and I guess maybe it's also like a reaction. It's yeah. like this needed sort of remedy to a, a problem that many people in the church have, which is like a complete disconnect from the Old Testament, which is, yeah, it's not necessary. It shouldn't be the case. But. Yeah, for literary and film nerds, uh, I think that 
thinking about the New Testament and the Old Testament might be kind of like when you get prequels and sequels. Uh, like, th there's always going to be a debate to some degree of like how you should watch them and read them and things like that. And there are yeah. good reasons for both. Uh, but h how you do it, you know, I mean, a lot of people will be like, well, just like enjoy it the way the, the author wanted you to enjoy it. And be like, well, no, do it chronologically. And I think that there's a small level of that that happens here where it's like, well, we should start in the New Testament. It's like, but if you do start in the Old Testament and you don't start in the New Testament, you do get the story in a different kind of way. Um, and it is really helpful. Now, yeah. obviously, that is the chronological and all that. The analogy breaks down. But I think that there's a way in which you can debate that there's a good reason for that, uh, both and. But the the misunderstandings we oftentimes have in the New Testament are almost always related to a misunderstanding of what's going on in the Old Testament. And there, I think that there can be a disconnect there. And there's cultural dis breakdowns that connect yeah. all that. But we will import so much of how we understand what we call New Testament Christianity, meaning us, back onto the New Testament when really we need to read the New Testament like ancient Israelites, ancient Hebrew people. Because uh, it was a Jewish text in a lot of ways. They were Jewish people reading Jewish texts, discussing it in Jewish ways in the ancient Near East. And so, like, when you, you miss that, you miss some of what's happening in the New Testament. And so understanding the Old Testament really well and the direction it's going, I find that helpful. So you said this, Kyle. Uh, you, you talked about um, some of the questions about God and the law. And so... Those are kind of the two points we want to break down here today. Of when we ask about or talk about why Deuteronomy, when we talk about why the Old Testament, uh, there oftentimes are two big things that you have to wrestle with. And I think that this is some of our uh, tendency to shy away from the Old Testament. Um, people will say things all the time like, well, like everything in the Bible is about Jesus. And you can see Jesus everywhere in the Bible. And there's truth to that, right? Like obviously we would say that. Uh, but then as followers of Jesus, that might make you really uncomfortable when the Bible has specific passages that call bears out of the wilderness to maul the women and the children. And you're like, wait, that's Jesus? Like, that's weird, right? Like, and so you have to begin to wrestle with some of these things when you get into the Old Testament. Specifically, Deuteronomy and some of the passages that we uh, aren't going to end up preaching on but from 6 to 11, uh, the end of section 1, where we're kind of wrapping up, we're going to jump into section 2, so we're going to pick up past this. It's a lot of that conquest language. It's a lot of these ideas of like, hey, you're supposed to go into the promised land and you're supposed to destroy everybody. And you would be right to say, I don't know if that's Jesus. So first of all, let me say this, and then I'll let Kyle go. Uh, so... I heard this on the Bible Project. No, it wasn't the Bible Project. It was somebody else. Anyways, I heard this one time, and I loved this. They said that they don't say that Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament, but that everything in the Old Testament helps you better understand who Jesus is, and it leads you to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I like that when you start to open up the Old Testament and some of these more difficult passages. And so that's the first one we're going to discuss. It's kind of this, the God of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Um, and as you, not just in Deuteronomy, but some of that language and this conquest language and uh, the, the fact that we're not a nation state that is following God, that we live in a democracy that is not a theocracy, all of this kind of stuff. So how do you wrestle with and kind of see some of that aspect of the God of the Old Testament? That's a mouthful. Um, When we start talking about, uh, yeah, like, like there are plenty of, of passages. Again, 
where we would be today if we weren't doing this um, when you get into Deuteronomy 7 and 8 is Moses talking about the people entering into the land uh, and what's going to happen in, in the book of Joshua uh, Moses is, is preparing them for. You will go in uh, and you will eradicate the land of all of these people groups that are there. You will remove them. You will bring an end to all of them and you will leave nothing. Um, and yeah, that, that, that language is, is uncomfortable. Uh, it's deeply bothersome. Um, and because like, yeah, in our culture, the idea of violence, uh, especially religious violence, is troublesome. Like we're very uncomfortable with all those things. And we bring a lot of our modern perspective to these conversations and we forget that over the course of thousands of years, that's all changed. And a large part of that is what we're seeing in the scriptures. Um, the, the capacity for peace, um, the idea that, that violence is inherently negative uh, is, is like completely foreign uh, in that world. Uh, and so it's, it's, but that's easy for us to forget. It's just like, oh, that, that's messed up. That, that, that's really messed up. Or that you would call that scripture, that's really messed up. And it's not like, why would you? But that's part of why, what we value about scripture is mm -hmm. yes. like, we want to bring all the messed up stuff to it. Because mm -hmm. like what, what generally happens in faith traditions and religious traditions is these things are kind of like hidden. Nobody tells you about that. Nobody wants to talk about that. And instead, all of that is exposed. Some of the ugliest moments in Israel's history are all right there for you to see. They're not hiding anything, it doesn't seem like, it, which is it's crazy to think about. All of that, all of the skeletons are coming out of the closet in this way. Um, but it, it's interesting to think about that. And this is not to say, well, as violent as you think uh, you know, that Yahweh is in this moment, it's just like all these other gods are more violent. But that's kind of how it is in the ancient world. Like, I was thinking about it uh, this week, as you, you mentioned conquest when we were in the office. Like, I don't know if any of you guys are familiar. Um, Babylon, for example, here is one of the, the groups of people that is near Israel at the time. When they imagined what creation looked like, do you know the story? The story is, is, is unreal. Um, it's this god Marduk who comes and he, he conquers Tiamat, which is like this chaotic watery something, okay, another god, and he conquers him in this very violent way. He kills him, and I think, if I remember right, it's like his entrails which become land. It's this crazy, it's very violent. When they imagined what creation looked like, violence was what came to mind. When they imagined what God was like, violence is what came to mind. Or you think about like the Assyrians. The Assyrian, the god of, of Assyria, the, the central god of the Assyrians was Asher, and Asher is you know, a god of war. You're familiar with these figures like Ares uh, for the Greeks. And it's like, for, for the Assyrians who are like famously violent, like, there's nothing negative about violence. Violence is just a way of life. And if you believe God is violent, then there's nothing wrong with you being violent. You're supposed to be violent. In fact, violence is like an act of worship. It's like this crazy idea. Like, so it's like the pe these people were incredibly violent. And then you look at the way that Yahweh creates, and it's different. You see Genesis 1 through 3, and then you get to chapter 4, and it's like, well, here is a brother who murders his brother in a moment of anger, and God condemns it. There's all this idea about the image of God and all of these sorts of things. That's like foreign to someone from Babylon or from Assyria or the Canaanite people. You start thinking about their ideas of God. Their God is, is so angry, so temperamental that he demands even the life of your children. And so it's like this interesting sort of thing. Like when, when God starts talking about conquest, I think we can forget um, that the violence that he is 
is commanding them to do is so much different from what you would have see, seen in these other cultures. And it's like, that's something that we kind of get lost on. And it's not, that, again, it doesn't justify it. It doesn't mean that we should be able to be violent because we're not as violent as everybody else. It's, it's not like that. But, but trying to understand it and see it rightly, that God is saying, here's a thing that is really poisonous. If you believe God is like that, then what kind of terrible things will you do? And the picture that you're getting of God in, in books like Deuteronomy is of love and compassion and of mercy and then you'll see these moments of anger, right? But the picture that you see in Scripture is that though his anger lasts for the, the night, joy comes in the morning, right? Like there's this idea. His favor lasts for a lifetime. Like it's this, this interesting thing. Excuse me, the weeping may last for the night. Um, this idea is that God's anger is, is short. Uh, like his violence is, is like punctuated by all of these moments over and over again you're seeing of his grace and his mercy and, and the ways in which he's teaching people to value life and all that sort of stuff. So it's like it's easy for somebody to read that and pull that out and say, see, God is very, very violent. He's always been that way. And it's like if you try to read comparatively in the ancient world, Israel is, is like revolutionary in the way that they see violence and the way that they value life uh, and in the way that they understand God. Uh, and that gives me a whole lot of comfort, like seeing that and understanding that. Because, again, if you're just reading the Bible by itself and you're not aware of all of those things that have been going on all around them, you don't, you don't think of that. It's like, well, these are just, these are just people like us. No, they, they weren't like them. And you see, in Israel, it did become poisonous. They did take up the practice of sacrificing their own children. There's evidence of it. That happened in Israel because they continued to, to be influenced by all of these people around them. That was the chief issue. God is saying, if you believe God is like that, if you worship gods like that, you will become like that. That is a problem. And so he's like trying to teach them that they have to be done with that. And the flip side of that also is that you can ignore that in the Old Testament that there's a very streamlined approach for anyone who wants to be a part of Israel to become a part of it. If you're a man, it means you've got to be circumcised. But, you know, there's, there's, there's a way that you can become a part of the people of God. God makes a way for others to be a part of this thing that he's doing. The nations will stream toward Israel, all that imagery. Uh, and it's just kind of interesting that we forget that when we read these passages, that, that this is the nature of God. And, uh, sorry, that was, that was a long answer to your question. But. That was a big question, so you yeah. know, naturally it's going to take a second. So, but I think that that's helpful, and, and I like the way that you uh, led with the scriptures doesn't try to hide. Mm -hmm. And I think that's connected to this idea in Deuteronomy uh, and something that we've always wanted to hold on to is that like scripture puts on display like the biggest mistakes and just kind of the like the humanness of the people of God. Mm -hmm. And in Deuteronomy, I think that that's part of what Moses is getting at is saying like, hey, listen, you guys are human beings mm -hmm. and you are uh, like you're arrogant or you're full of hubris if you think that like somehow you're not going to make any mistakes and to acknowledge the mistakes and the failures and that then there's a narrative and a story in a world like ours culturally where we look around and go there's a lot of messed up things happening and yes some of it happens inside of the church inside the people of God but it always has and the Old Testament gives us a way of understanding that Yahweh God has always wanted to deal with this mm -hmm. And the other thing with that is that he's really, really good to meet us in our humanness. He doesn't try to, like, make us not be human in order to participate in what he's doing. He uses our understanding, our culture, our ways of functioning and existing and being mm -hmm. 
where we are in our timeline. And I think it's really important that we hold on to that when we talk about the Old Testament, we talk about law, we talk about where we are today. We don't exist here today like in an ahistorical moment. Like, uh, this is a controversial topic, but let's use it. I'll go here because we're talking about controversial things. Flash forward. Uh, you can disagree, agree with a whole bunch of what goes on around this political idea, but uh, the, the statement that black lives matter, when you disagree with that statement uh, on the surface, just like, no way, I'm not going to listen to that, you're disagreeing with it if you have an ahistorical perspective. It's really easy to disagree with that and be like, well, no, all lives matter. Why should black lives matter? And it's like, no one's saying all lives don't matter. It's saying right now in this moment, we have a problem and we need to talk about that problem in this historical moment. And we need to pull that out and address it so that all lives can matter, right? We've had these conversations before. And from there, we're willing to be very, very open and have lots of conversations about where we can agree and disagree on how we solve that problem and, uh, and lots of things there and how the problem started. But we must acknowledge that there is something different. Historically, there's a moment here and that we, we aren't ahistorical. We, we don't just exist outside of time. The things that have come before us affect how we handle and process things and have an impact. And I think a lot of times, especially as Christians, when we overemphasize the New Testament, we put everything on Jesus, what we're doing a lot of times is we're wanting to make a religion that is ahistorical, that doesn't have anything, that doesn't think about time and the moment and space we find ourselves in. But the time and the space that we occupy has a way in which we understand what's going on. Therefore, when we go back and read it, we must understand that the time and space that they're occupying has a way. And I think to me that shows a very kind nature of God. It also gives me some pause and hesitation. And I'm like, did it really have to be this way? Like, couldn't have you have done it differently? But even then, okay, so all that being said, we'll put a small pin there. We can talk about this more. Come grab one of us afterwards. Mm -hmm. There are books like this big in our office that address just this topic. So we're not going to solve it now. In Deuteronomy 7, 8, where we're going, mm -hmm. it's going to command them to destroy everyone. If you keep reading and you don't just stop there and go, see, look how terrible Yahweh is. It will then immediately say, and by the way, don't marry them. And don't abuse them as slaves. And also, don't take on their religion even though you're living in the same place together. Any person of any kind of like normal ability to see reason and logic should stop and say, wait, why would I be getting commands to marry or not marry and to live well together as neighbors and to teach them my religion if I'm supposed to destroy all of them? Ah, I get it. They literally died because it was so hot outside. No, they didn't literally die. But we say they literally died, right? It's hyperbole. It's a way of talking about, they're using their human language and their humanness to discuss the fact that they're going to conquer and take over everything. We do this. It's a figure of speech. You know, like it's just the way we function. And so there is a way in which you have to understand that they are also human and they're using their human language and the way they would talk about conquest and things. It just means that they're gonna be victorious. And it doesn't actually mean that everyone's always going to like, have to be completely destroyed. And so there's a space in which you have to pause and, and see that. And when you do, you go, okay, yes, that does not mean it is okay. And yes, it is still problematic. And yes, it should give us kind of a little bit of, oh. But it's not what it sometimes can feel like if you see the whole story. And that, I think, is a good uh, 
rule of thumb to function and to operate under in most situations where something seems really dramatic and wrong to go, okay, that is really dramatic and wrong, but maybe there's more to the story. Maybe I'm not seeing it all. And, and I think that helps us as we think about how we then take what we read here and apply it to our moment today. Like we are tasked with doing some of the same things, of looking at it and going, okay, what is the truth here of who God is and what direction is he moving us to and how do we join in on that? Because that's what we take forward. And that's what Deuteronomy is trying to teach us people. There were some messed up things. They missed some things. But you must not throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. You know, you, you have to continue to hold on to the truth and what's good in Scripture. And I think that we live in a cultural moment, and it appears that humanity has always existed this way, but it's prevalent in, in, on the surface, where we are willing to just kind of dismiss everything because of something wrong that happened. And I think that what you see is that there's a way in which you go, okay, that was wrong. We can make corrections. We can call a spade a spade, if you will. But it doesn't mean that we have to give up hope on this thing being what it intended to be. And so I love the Old Testament for that reason because I think it really helps us live our Christianity today and, and to function well and to like understand what it means to take some of these things. Like, for example, what do you do with the law and some of the things that you see in the New Testament? Because this is the section we're about to go to. So this would be point two of this morning or kind of the second movement is how today are we supposed to understand some of the ideas of the law and what it means to follow Jesus when Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And yet most of us in this room, and some of us are probably very excited about it, will, you know, eat some pork this uh, next couple of days as we celebrate the 4th of July or some bacon at least, you know. And so there's this way in which we go, okay, well, we are obviously not following that, mm -hmm. but there's some aspects of it that we are. And so I think that's what can get people uncomfortable with uh, how we're talking about the Old Testament is it's like, well, but then now isn't it just a free-for-all and if we're supposed to reinterpret the, the law and what it means to follow Jesus in every generation, then like, well, is everything just cultural and contextual? So, yeah. another just small question to, to tackle in like three minutes for you. Yeah, right. Um, I think Moses sets up a, a pattern where he's, he's not being dismissive of the law. Like when he, he says, some, sometimes he says things the same. Like that, there's, there's this pattern where it's like some things will just be. And like we all recognize that. There's a whole lot of these commandments that we recognize are important and valuable and are the foundation of law as we know it in our culture. Um, so it's just kind of like one of those things where uh, we recognize their value and we would never want anyone to change what is said there. And then there's all these other things where you're just kind of like, okay, dietary laws, that's weird. Or these laws about women and what they can or can't do. It's like, ah, oh, that's, that's uncomfortable. It's like all, all those sorts of things. And Moses is setting up this pattern, again, that Jesus ultimately will follow. And that all these rabbinical teachers, all the rabbis, if you ever get into that, that gets really messy, by the way. Um, if you're interested in that, you can Google some of that. Look at what some of the rabbis do, how they interpret the laws. Like, this becomes a thing. It became a very live conversation in the day of Jesus, like, People were in complete disagreement about a lot of these things. Like, again, you talked about this a couple of weeks ago, um, or was it last week? What is the greatest commandment? Um, so a, a teacher comes to Jesus, and Jesus quotes the Shema uh, from Deuteronomy 6. 
So it's just kind of like, that's a live conversation. They're all wrestling with it. Some people would say, well, it's okay for you to, to generalize and say it is loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Like, they would be okay with that. And some people would be like, no, that is a rejection of what was said. The law says this, and this is specifically what it says. And so it was a, a live conversation. People were wrestling through these things, but that was how they always understood the law. And the law ought to be the same way for us. It ought to be something we're wrestling with, that we're not dismissive of, because that, that's what you generally get when somebody starts talking about, well, that was a different context. People do the same thing with the New Testament. Well, that was a different context. And so a lot of things have been kind of jettisoned from the faith by a lot of people. It's like, oh, well, that's, that's different. It doesn't apply. In conversations on sexuality, very often, people will just like, want to jettison a lot of what you see because it's like, wouldn't it be better if that just wasn't there? It's like, I get it. It would be easier but it's there, and there's value to it, and we recognize that. Like, the sexual ethic of the New Testament is good, and we can't just, like, completely eradicate it. Just like a lot of these laws from the Old Testament, though we may not live by that dietary law, we recognize it's like, well, that may have had value in the ancient world. Like, that may have been really important, and we recognize some of these things God tells them not to eat. It's like, it would probably be good if I didn't eat that. You know, it turns out, like, those of us who are living off of, off of that kind of food aren't doing that well for ourselves, and we're dying of cancer pretty regularly. So it's just, like, all of these sorts of things, like, we recognize that, and people have done that for a long time. But, yeah, like, I think Deuteronomy sets up this pattern for us where it's just, like, the law ought to be something you don't just dismiss, that you wrestle with, and that you try to understand. And it's, like, because it can be easy to just be kind of, like, ancient people were, for lack of a better word, they were kind of stupid. Uh, like, and it's just, like, and we are so enlightened uh, you know, I guess it was uh, Lewis that used to call that chronological snobbery. One of our professors used to always quote that. Chronological snobbery. We imagine that since we have, you know, modern plumbing and uh, air conditioning, that we are so much smarter. We are so much more intelligent. Uh, and we can dismiss all of these things. It's like, oh, well, that's primitive and stupid. Obviously, we're not going to live according to that. And it's like, that's a foolish way to go about things. Moses is revering the law and yet at the same time he's wrestling with it and he's showing them that like there's a way in which we might need to approach this differently he's giving them new perspective Jesus is doing the same thing and he's very intentional about saying I'm not here to abolish the law but to fulfill it to help you see the heart of the law the real spirit of the law uh, it, that's what what Paul talks about spirit and letter all of this idea uh, of the law like, like sometimes we, we can lose that uh, and, and we need to hold on to those things. And all of that comes from, I think, Deuteronomy. So it's like we need to, to wrestle with the law rather than just dismiss it as like it doesn't apply to me anymore. Because, again, if we say that about everything in the Old Testament, then, again, the foundations of our society at some level are kind of lost by doing that. So, yeah, the, the, the law is something we need to be wrestling with and continuing to, uh, yeah, to revere. Yeah. And again, to go back to the point that I was making previously, which is that what you see in the Old Testament is God's willingness and his ability to meet the people where they're at and to understand like how they're... And Jesus is going to say this. Uh, you don't cast your pearls before swine. You don't offer something up in front of someone that doesn't understand its value and its, uh, like its inherent or intrinsic kind of worth, whatever you want to call it. There's a, swan, a pig is going to trample pearls into the mud. Um, and, and we want to think of ourselves as the, the good and holy people that uh, would understand the difference where I think that in talking about some of this, we as humanity, uh, blessed beyond uh, all favor and above the angels, could be understood as the ones that oftentimes don't understand the value of things that are placed before us. And so God is good to meet us in the spaces that we are and to over time allow us to understand and to be, and, and allow more to be revealed to us. 
And people get uncomfortable. Because even as you're talking, as I'm talking, we say these things all the time. Well, you, it, you can't just say it's contextual because then we can throw everything out or we can make everything hard-lined. I grew up in a slightly more uh, fundamental setting where they took very serious that women should have their heads covered. And so uh, my Mennonite and Amish relatives, uh, some of them so extreme that they would cover their heads uh, anytime they were in public. And they always wore their hair up and there was no purple allowed uh, for women to wear purple. You weren't allowed to do that. You weren't allowed to have buttons and all these things because they took very serious what was in scripture. And those are good people that love Jesus. Um, and then there are other people that want to say, well, none of it matters because it's all contextual. And it's, you know, that was the first century and we've, we are so much more enlightened. And so what I would say is that it's a, a real challenge. Um, this is where I think that it is really important that biblical studies matter and that like you have to understand that you are a ancient traveler uh, going back and studying a language and a culture that you don't speak or live in and that what our task or our goal is is really trying to do what we're doing and what you said which is to try to find the heart of the thing that Jesus is getting after that we're trying to get after and we have to leave space in some of this that we're going to disagree. Uh, that uh, There are things that Kyle and I disagree on and that we would go, well, I would hold that a little bit differently. Or I would, I would say, like, I think that that's more contextual there. Uh, and both of us are doing faithful, honest exegesis. It gets tricky. And the, the task is to not villainize someone, but to look at these things and say there is still value to it. And ultimately, what you have to do is you have to reckon with that there is something being asked of you, and that what Scripture is making clear is that there is another way of existing and being while here on planet Earth, being a human, that is going to look different and is going to operate differently. And though we now live in a space uh, where salvation is not contingent on these things, and that's some of the uh, disagreement, which, by the way, just to throw this out there, I don't think salvation was ever contingent on following the law. That is a misunderstanding of it. I think the law was a grace-filled way of inviting you into the people of God and then showing you how to live as the people, not a requirement to enter into the people. And we can uh, discuss that at a different time if you want. But I think that that grace and that mercy in the law was always there, that that's not a flip at Jesus. Uh, the access and our ability to do that, I think, is something changes in Jesus. But you have to see this as a way of going, like, it, it's not dictating that this is the only way that a human being can possibly exist or that if anybody that operates outside of this is a terrible human being and they're, you know, da 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 da, -da. But it's saying, no, 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 listen, as someone that wants to follow Jesus, your life is going to be asked, like, of you. Your being, your existence is going to be asked of you. And you're going to have to operate and function in a different kind of way than you had before you took following Jesus serious. And that's what looking at the law, so as you dive into something like Deuteronomy and we get into these law passages, uh, there is grace uh, coming in the next few weeks that if someone says something that you go, well, I wouldn't say that, or those are a word that I was told that that is what uh, only this type of person says or that type of person says. You say, okay, slow down. Let's agree that there's some space where this is hard to understand. And we're all attempting to live in a certain way that we think is what God would call us to. And we do that in community. We do it together. And we do it with honoring scripture. And so there are hot button issues when it comes to this. There are things that are difficult to, to wrestle with. And where the church has disagreed for hundreds and thousands of years. And we go, I don't know. It's weird. But we got to do it, I guess. Uh, and, and you, but the thing is, to quote C.S. Lewis again, 
uh, where you have to eventually uh, agree on or, or, or make your belief on something. He'll say that you can't live in the great hall or in the atrium or, or in the welcome area forever. Eventually, you have to unpack your stuff in a room and you have to make yourself at home. And we're called to do that. And you have to figure some of this stuff out and give yourself to it in a way that allows you to pursue Jesus in a different kind of way. And so we're going to use things uh, not that, that we think that these are more important than Scripture, but you look at things like human history and tradition and the way the church has understood these things for thousands of years and the, what we would call like orthodox positions that have kind of stayed the same over time. And then there are other things that have changed and ebbed and flowed. And so as you read the text and you look at it and you wrestle with it, uh, it's not just what's there because we're acknowledging that what's in it uh, is debatable. People may not like that word, but it is. And so as we look at the law, we're trying to get to the truth and the, like the kind of the guiding thing that's underneath it. Uh, and that's really hard work. And, and I think that there's aspects of that, at least for me. I don't know if you would, I'm not sure you would agree with this, Kyle. You can say you, you don't. But that there's a way in which, like, some of that is, like, still happening to me, like, at, like, profound levels. Where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I totally missed that. Like, I still, like, I come back to it. And I'm like, oh, that's what that really, really means. And it's not that it's over here anymore. It's just, like, that there's a further deepening of truth that as you kind of come back to it. Because I think all of Scripture, the law, all of it, it's meant to be wisdom literature. It's meant to be meditated on. It's meant to be read over and over again. It's meant to confuse you to ask questions, to reckon with, to uh, process in a different kind of way than just going, oh, this is what it says. Okay, now I'll go do that and not come back to it. But to change the way you function and exist and move through this thing we kind of call life. And so when we read the laws, like that's what we're going to try to attempt to do over these next three weeks is to pull back some of that and go, okay, what was happening here? Why is Moses saying this? What is the thing that's moving us forward in continuing this narrative of seeing uh, how the people of God are meant to function and exist? And to realize that no matter what you pull out of that, no matter where you land, the reality is, is what you have to understand as a follower of Jesus, that your life is meant to be wholly other, completely different than what it was before you met Jesus. That doesn't not that doesn't make you superior or uh, into more intellectual or anything like that, or that you'll have a greater, uh, you know, success or things like that. But it's saying, no, 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 your life has to be different. And I think that that's what the law is trying to do for these people is to say, this is how it's meant to exist and to function. And if you want to follow Yahweh, then your life must follow this pattern that Yahweh has set forth. And Jesus and the church for the last 2,000 years has continued to help us understand and interpret that, and that's where we sit today. And that's why community matters. That's why voices matter. It's why gathering together matters. It's why having conversations and being willing and uh, open to hearing from other voices that are different than yours and people that disagree with you and allowing others to say what they think and not just trying to correct and uh, you know uh, convince everybody all the time, but to really sit with one another and to do that together in this process of following Jesus and of following on this path of being formed and shaped into what Christ would intend us to be. And so back to Deuteronomy at the start and why as we move to communion the band can come up and we can do that. We're going to take communion together as we always do and so as they play a song we'll invite you to come and to take the bread and the cup. Hold on to those elements. We've got gluten free over here as we always do. Go back to your seats and I'll lead us in the taking of that communally. 
But I think that as we come to these moments, as we come to the table, you're seeing what it looks like, you're, you're experiencing what it's like to see something that was intended for the people of God to be something that's a reminder, a recalling, a retelling, to be, to be understood differently as the generations move forward. But you're not ignoring all that the story had told. When you come and I say before you this morning, you hold in your hand the piece of the bread that is Jesus' body that represented the bread that was given to the people of God in the wilderness and in the desert, you are reminded that that is your story too, that you're holding on to those things. And we understand it differently and more fully and completely as we hold on to that of what it means that God would give us the bread of life to be our perseverance and our uh, nourishment. But you hold it knowing that this is that story and that this story continues and it's building off of itself and it's expanding and yet those truths and the centrality of it has never wavered or moved. And it comes back to something and it comes back to who God is and his character and his nature that is most fully revealed to us in Jesus on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we know that the access to God is given to us most fully there. And so all that we know about the law and the stories and the histories is given to us most fully revealed in Jesus. And that is our lens in which we understand it. But this moment of communion that we celebrate it is a celebration of all of scripture, of all of the law, of the stories we've been given, because the point is, is that we would draw closer and be brought in nearer to God himself, and that our lives and our being and our existence and our way of functioning would be continually shaped and formed more and more as God intended it. And Jesus is our example of that, and Jesus is our primary function of that, and so we want to be more like Christ here so that we can do what Jesus asked us to do which is to see the kingdom come here in Birmingham as it is in heaven. And so we invite you to come and to take the elements, to wrestle with that, to process that of what does your life look like in response to who Jesus is and what Jesus would ask of you and what are the ways in which you can further embody the truths and the deep, profound essence of living this way and living this thing that God has called us to. And how does your story line up with and become a part of and extend this story that Jesus is inviting you to partake in as you come and partake in the elements. So come and receive the bread and the cup and receive the gifts of God for the people of God. Amen.